Hallelujah. And I want to also just quickly thank all of you uh, for welcoming my family and I. We've been here just, well, we were away most of last summer, but so we've been here a while now. And I just want to thank you so much for welcoming us into the fold here at Lakeview Community Church. It is a church uh, with such wonderful ministries happening. There's great fruit being produced here. There's wonderful love here and, and, and wonderful life. So I just thank you so much. So speaking about that with life, let's just jump in right there. Um, I think we would all agree here that God is the giver of life. I think in this building, in this sanctuary, we, we would agree to that. And I don't know about you, but this is my favorite time of the year. And it just kind of, it's, I love coming out in the morning and hearing the birds singing again after kind of a long, gray, cold winter, even though it wasn't that bad this winter. But hearing the birds singing again, I love the smell of that fresh cut grass. Those first few times you smell it in the spring. I love that smell, that aroma. And we see where the flowers are now blossoming, the trees are budding. It's just a time of wonderful new life everywhere you look. And now these Animals are nesting up or getting ready to lay their eggs or have their young or it's mating season for others. So it's just an exciting time and it just really reminds us uh, it's such a, a time of great life. And how appropriate Mother's Day is in the spring, next month, right? The anointing that is on moms, uh, the impact that, that our wives and our, and our mothers and the women around us have on our lives. So it's just a wonderful time of abundant new life. And, I, and as I said, I, I think we would agree that God is the giver of life and I love science. I do. I love science. Maybe you do as well. I like having conversations with my pals about it. Uh, one of my neighbors is a teacher in Westchester County. I love talking to him about science, especially how science relates to scripture. And I'm not, I'm not a tech guy. I'm not into technology. I don't know much about it. I'm not that savvy. But I do love archaeology, and that is considered one of the sciences. And I just love science. But science prides itself in, in defining life. Science prides itself in defining life. But science, science is flawed. Science can be limited. Science can be very one-dimensional. It can be rigid. It can, it can be arrogant, quite arrogant even. And science relies completely on hypotheses and conclusions in the natural realm. It leaves no room for the supernatural or the spirit. And, and as I said, science defines itself as defining life, for defining life. For instance, so human beings as people, when you look at science, science will place us in a group called mammals, all these other air breathers and warm-blooded creatures, right? So science likes to pigeonhole things. It's orderly. So it kind of it puts us in that group with mammals. And then underneath that group of mammals, there's a subgroup called primates. And then there's a sub-subgroup called great apes. And that's kind of where we get stuck on that shelf. And, uh, and there are many different things. There are many different things that make human beings unique. So to place us in these kind of groups, is, is, uh, it's, it's, it's flawed. It's arrogant. For instance, like what separates us from everything else on this earth, we are... Bipedal. We walk on two legs. Is there anything else out there that walks on two legs? Maybe. I don't know. I think, but I think we might be one of the only ones. I'm thinking uh, maybe kangaroos. Kangaroos have two legs, but they don't walk. They, they hop on two legs, and they use their tail. It's kind of a balancing thing, and a, and a third leg. 
I'm thinking off the top of my head, there are some birds that walk on two legs, but that's generally not their mode of transportation. They're, they fly. So, well, then there's Bigfoot. Does anybody here believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> don't, don't raise your hand. I'm only kidding. No, seriously, has anybody here ever seen a Bigfoot? Yeah, no. But, you know, you ever see that shirt? I love that, I love that shirt. The, uh, what does it say? World champion hide-and-seek, or uh, hide-and-seek world champion with the picture of Bigfoot on it. And, and, you know, there's part of me that really hopes that, that that gets discovered because just so these scientists will have to scratch their head and say, yeah, you know, we kind of we got that one wrong. We were kind of uh, we holding out on that. But, but anyway, so other things that make humans unique over any other living creature, intelligence, high level of intelligence, more so than anything else on this earth, right? We have forward thinking. We have logical reasoning. We have problem-solving skills. Other animals just generally don't have it, especially at the level that we do. I've heard people say, and not to offend anybody here, but I've heard people say, well, my dog, my dog is very intelligent. And sometimes I think the dog knows what I'm thinking, and sometimes I think I know what it's thinking. And yeah, dogs, you know, there's smart dogs, just like in any species, but I think my dog is smart. She's a, a German Shepherd, a Golden Retriever mix. She's eager to please. She's, she's obedient. She's, she, I think as far as dogs go, she's pretty smart. But if you take her leash or her lead and wrap it around a tree one time and say, okay, untangle yourself, she can't do it. They just don't have that, they just don't have that ability. Another thing, like I've also had people say, well, what about whales and dolphins? Whales have these, and dolphins have these large brains. They're very human-like. They communicate at a very high level. And yeah, all that's true. That's true. But you can't really compare them to people. Because I say, show me an example of dolphin-made art or whale engineering. It doesn't exist. They're, they're smart creatures, certainly intelligent, but they're, they're instinctive. Like most animals, they're instinctive. But what truly separates us from everything else Every other creature on this earth is that we are spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. God is spirit, John 4, 24. We are created in his likeness and image as spiritual beings. Angels are spirit also, spiritual beings. But what separates angels and mankind is purpose. Angels are individually created for service to God. People are created as a race in the image of God, that means as a race, we, we propagate, we procreate. We're created, we're created as a race in the image of God for the purpose of relationship with him. We're spiritual beings. God tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said he's placed eternity in the human heart. God has placed eternity in the human heart. And what, what does that mean? Well, that kind of means that we all come with this thing built in from the factory, this idea, this inkling towards something beyond, something transcendent, something after this life, something beyond this. We all have that. And that's evidenced by no matter where you go in this world, you'll find that people are worshiping something. People are generally worshiping something. I remember um, Pastor Brian and I were almost the same age. I'm a couple years older than you, I think. But 
if my recollection is correct, I think it was in the early 80s. I might have been in middle school or early high school. And if I remember correctly, there was this tribe of peoples down in maybe the Congo. It might have been New Guinea. I don't recall exactly. But they had, for hundreds of years, or however long that was, they had never come in contact with anyone outside of their sphere of influence, with their region. They had never come in contact with the outside world. And when that contact did happen, when, for lack of a better term, they were discovered by a group of people, it turns out that every so often, a jetliner would go overhead at like 30, 35,000 feet, however high that is, and sometimes they leave a contrail. And this tribe of people was worshiping that as God. We have that built in. Everybody's worshiping something. But people want to meet God generally. People want to meet God on their terms, not so much meet God on his terms. People want a user-friendly, kind of plug-and-play version of religion or something to scratch that spiritual itch. And, and I hear it all the time. And I, I just heard it the other day, actually, when I was sharing the Lord with a lady who was involved in a, in a denominational teaching for decades. And we started to have a conversation about the Lord. And, and she says, and, and you'll hear this often, she says, well, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. And I say, of course you are. Of course. I said, I'm not religious either. But I'm spiritual also. I said, of course you're spiritual. You're, you're a spiritual being. So now if you, take this, if you take this spiritual bent that we have as people, right, that's built in, and now couple that with this intelligent, pondering mind, I believe we have an inclination towards the creator. I believe we have an inclination towards worship towards being connected. And we are connected. We are connected. When we read in Genesis, the account of creation is recorded by Moses, as dictated to him by God. We see that in the beginning, God spoke everything into existence. He spoke it, and it was created. It was done. But when it came to man, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then it says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This indicating something very different. This indicating something very, very personal, very intimate. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed his very spirit into man. Job 32, I think it's verse 8. It is the spirit within man. It is the... Spirit within man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. When Jesus, we celebrated last week, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, such a powerful, probably it's the greatest miracle, the greatest event that ever occurred in the history of the world. And, uh, and we celebrated that. We, I mean, we celebrate that every day. We, we honor that. We... His sovereignty is complete. We remember that every day as Christian men and women. And I thought Pastor Brian, I'm just going to go off of, into the weeds for a minute here, but I think Pastor Brian did a good job of unpacking some of that last week. And, you know, 
When you look at the resurrection of Christ, without that, I mean, what are we doing? What have we staked our life on? And, and you know, it's, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to get a room full of people to agree on anything, right? It's, it's, and look at today. It's, it's very difficult to do that, to get a group of people to agree on anything. But there's pretty much two things that almost every religion, every culture, every belief system in the world subscribes to and agrees to. Unheard of. Two things. One, that there was a worldwide flood. Two, that there was a man named Jesus, Yeshua, that was born about 2,000 years ago, walked the earth as a man, did some radical stuff, and it was crucified on the top of Mount Calvary outside the walls of Jerusalem. Pretty much every religion and culture and belief system subscribes to that. And, there's, and then where the question comes in is, was he resurrected? And you go down that road, that's a whole sermon in itself, but I'm here to tell you there is ample evidence of the resurrection. We have over 550. I used to do a lot of prison and jail ministry until um, COVID hit. And we have over 515 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. I used to preach in a jail. I said, you know, if you have, if you have one eyewitness to an event that testifies to that event, that's a powerful testimony. If you have two, that's very powerful testimony. If you have three, that's overwhelming. How about 515? And then we have the lives of these disciples and these apostles, these early men and women that lived such difficult lives and went forward to, at great peril, tortured. Many of them died horrible lives. And we were talking at our prayer meeting on Wednesday morning. People don't live a life like that. And people don't die like that for a lie. It doesn't happen. You've staked your life on the truth. We're following the truth. So anyway, I'll get back on the main road here. But... Um, so Jesus, the day of his resurrection, he was crucified, died, was buried. Now we have these early disciples, these early followers of Christ and these apostles hanging out there, sitting around and, and kind of hiding out. And they must have been saying to one another, like, look what, they either witnessed the crucifixion or heard about it. And they, they got to be saying, look what they did to him. What are they going to do to us? They know we were hanging out with him. They know we were following him. So they had to be very concerned about that. But the day Jesus was resurrected, that afternoon, it says he came into the room. John chapter 20, verse 22. He came into the room. Doesn't say he came through the door. He came into the room and it says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And that changed everything. That changed everything. Again, Job 33, I think it's verse 4. It is the Spirit of God in me that gives me life. The breath of the Almighty. The breath of God. The Spirit of God. Several years ago, I don't remember how many. It's not that long ago, but it was more than a few. And uh, I was working a lot of nights and weekends, late hours, my wife and I always worked alternating shifts, so somebody would always be home for the, with the children when they were younger. 
So I, was, I came home one morning. I think it was 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday. You could ask my wife this part of it. Um, her memory might be better than mine about this part of it. But I came home. It was about 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday morning. Tired, dog tired. I pull in the driveway and I see that there's lights on downstairs in the house. And at 3.30 on a Saturday morning, that's not generally a good thing to see. So I walked in and she assured me, no, everything's okay. And um, she shared with me that she had received a phone call about an hour prior, which would have been about 2.30 in the morning. And she said this man was on the other end of the line. It was a landline. And he was very emotional. And he was, he was very excited. And, and he's talking to my wife. And, and she's like, are you okay? Are you okay? He says, yeah, yeah, no, I'm okay. He goes, I don't he, he asked if I was home. And my wife said, no, he's still at work. He's still at work. And she says, are you okay? He says, yes. He says, he said, I, I don't know if Jay remembers me. I worked with him about a year ago. I was on his crew. As a, and he was an engineer trainee. I worked for the railroad. And he said, in our downtime, like during our meal break, Jay talked to me about God. He shared with me about God. And at the end of the shift, he gave me a Bible. And I, and I took that Bible home, and I kind of threw it on the shelf, on the dresser, wherever it was, and didn't pay any attention to it. He says, but recently I've been going through some difficult things in my life. And he said, so tonight I, I prayed to God. I prayed out loud in his bedroom. And he said, I laid down on my bed, and all of a sudden, God, this was his exact words, God breathed into my lungs, like somebody giving you CPR. He said, God breathed into my lungs, and then I heard a voice say, remember this day, and called Jay. So he immediately picked up the phone and called my house, because I had left the number, my phone number inside that Bible. So I said to my wife, wow, that's, that's a great story. I don't remember this guy, but what a great story. She goes, you're going to call him back. I said, not now. I'm tired. That was an hour ago. He's probably asleep. I'll call him when I get some rest. About 9 o'clock that same morning, later on that day, I woke up, got a cup of coffee. I picked up the phone, dialed the number. One ring. Bang. He says, Jay. And I said, yeah, Rich. His name was Rich. He lived on the other side of Waterbury, Connecticut, in Cheshire, Connecticut. I said, Rich. He says, yeah. He goes, man, I don't know if you remember me. And I said, Richie, I, sorry, I don't remember you. I said, but I give a lot of Bibles away. I talk to a lot of people about God. And, he, and he, then he went on to re reiterate the story the same way he told my wife. And I said, wow, that's, that's powerful, right? And the words came to mind like, seek and you'll find me, knock and I'll open the door. He just prayed, he prayed to the Lord. His heart was seeking God. God shows up. So I said, I said Rich, are you saved? I don't ask people anymore, are you a Christian? I just don't really use that term anymore because it's become so watered down, unfortunately. People say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a this, or I'm a Christian. They kind of identify it with a denomination maybe or something else. So I really don't use that term anymore. I say, are you saved? Are you saved? So I says, Richie, are you saved? He goes, I don't know. I don't know if I am. I said, well, then you're probably not. So then I went on to share with him again the gospel of Jesus, the share with him these, these wonderful things. And, and, and he, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior on the phone. He got saved that day. And I'll never forget, it was February 17th. And then, I, and then about a month later, I remember because it was around St. Patty's Day, he calls me up all, and I was discipling him. He was plugged into a church over there uh, in Connecticut. 
And, uh, and he calls me up. He says, man, I, Jay, I want to get baptized. I want, because now he's in the word of God. He didn't know anything about the word of God. When this event happened, he had no knowledge of the word of God. But now he's digging in. And he says, Jay, I, wa I want to get baptized. I want you to baptize me. I said, yeah, cool. No problem, Rich. And I'm thinking, okay, where are we going to do this? How? He says, no, I got the spot already picked out. He goes, it's on a mountain. It's a swimming hole from when I was a kid. It has very special memories for me. He says, I want to get baptized in that swimming hole, this mountain creek, right? I said, Rich, you know it's the middle of March, right? He goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's okay, though. It's no problem. So maybe no problem for you, but you're a lot younger than I am. So anyway, I, I drove over there. It was a wonderful day. It was, it was like it was, like it was uh, this past week. It was like 90 degrees or like 80-something degrees in March. It was, it, was, it was like the perfect day. So anyway. But what a fantastic testimony. The breath of God. The breath of God. And with that fantastic miracle, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the defining event that occurs when someone is marked with the seal of God, we receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we become one of the saved of the earth, a child of God child of God. And with that, I love what Diane, you know, sometimes I get up here, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, don't know what I'm going to say, preach, whatever. So, but I'm listening to Diane talking. We have a new identity. We have a new identity. With that salvation comes a brand new identity. You're not a cleaned up version of your old self. God doesn't take dirty people and make them clean. He doesn't take bad people and make them good. God takes the dead and gives them life. We were all dead in our transgressions and sins. But when we come to Christ, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we become a brand new creation a new species. Science has no room for that. And it says our life is now found in him. And he sits at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for us. A new identity. And with that new identity, we have to learn to, to navigate your way through this world and as crazy as it is out there. Has there well, has there ever been a time more chaotic or crazy than there is right now in this country or you know I don't know I, I'm only alive now but looking at it history it seems like things are really kind of crazy so in order to navigate our way through this life and to lead a fulfilled life we have to learn along with that identity we have to learn how to walk that out with confidence to be confident in our new identity, to be confident in who we are in him. And you know, it's, it's easy to praise God and to pray and to worship when things are going well, when life is good, things are great. Oh, when you're prayed up, you're plugged in, it's awesome. But when we fall short, maybe we stumble into something. Maybe we're struggling with something. Maybe it's an addiction. Could be pornography, could be 
alcohol, drugs, smoking even, could be anything. Struggling with stuff. Or maybe we were tempted and we kind of fell into something that wasn't righteous. We have a tendency to feel like we're unworthy. We have a tendency to feel dirty. We have a tendency to not want to come before God, to shy away. When, in, when re, in reality, it's in those moments, it's in those moments that we have to have more confidence, to come before the throne of God with more confidence. It's like the bat, it's baseball season, right? So it's like a batter in baseball, guy who's in a slump. He's not hitting well. He's in the big leagues. It's just not going well for him. He can't connect at the plate. He's just not getting it done. And this guy sitting in the dugout, and when, it's, when he's on deck, he doesn't want to walk up to that plate. He's anxious about it. He's not feeling worthy. He's not feeling like things are going well. And this is the moment where you got to push all those feelings aside. This guy, you got to push all, that, all feelings aside and instead stand firm on what you know. Walking up to that plate, I didn't get here by accident. I've proven that I'm worthy. I'm here. I've done this. I can do this. You walk and walk up to that plate with confidence. It's the same with us. When we start having those feelings of unworthiness or dirty or we can't come before God, ugh, right? That's when we got to push those feelings aside and say, no, I'm standing firm on what I know. Feelings are feelings and, and they're important, but we can be tossed all over the place by feelings. So instead, we have to stand firm on what we know. I am a child of the Most High God. Jesus didn't just die. I've been washed clean by the blood of Christ. He didn't just die for my past sin, but for my present and future sin also. My life is found in Christ, and he sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for me. And we come before the throne of God with confidence. And through prayer and petition, we would present our request to him. If you've fallen into something with a repentant heart, we come and we ask for forgiveness. And if we go back, if we go back to the garden, right? Go back to the Garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve. When, when Adam sinned, and the sin was charged to Adam... But when sin entered in, when sin was realized, did Adam and Eve come before God? Did they approach God with that? No. No, they hid. They hid. And what did God do? God didn't strike them down dead as, as the sin surely would have warranted. No, instead, God exposed that sin. He exposed it. And, there, and he explained to them what the consequences were for that sin. And there are consequences for our sin. There's consequences. And he explained this to them. And one of the consequences was they were no longer allowed to dwell in the garden. They had to leave. But as we read the word of God, as we study scripture, we begin to learn his very nature, right? And, and, and when I think about that, I don't think God did that with anger Certainly he was grieved, but I think he did it with a loving heart and out of grace 
And, and I think he graciously had them leave the garden so they could no longer eat from the tree of life. They were no longer allowed to eat from the tree of life. Otherwise, they would have to live in their sin forever. They would have to live in that forever. God, sin is what always came between mankind and God. Sin and death. The consequence for sin is death. But you know what God did? You know what God did? He took the curse of sin and death and made it the cure. The curse of sin and death became the cure. Jesus, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, left his heavenly estate and was born flesh and blood onto the earth, just like you and I. He put on humanity, and he walked out a life on this earth just like you and I do, faced with all the different things that we're faced with, temptation included, and he was able to live a sinless life. And we don't know much about Jesus' young childhood. We, we, we know the account of his birth. We don't hear much about him again until he's 12 years old. And there we see him in the temple where he's, he's speaking to these religious leaders of the day. And they were just in awe. Like, who is this uneducated kid who has all this knowledge and is sharing all this wisdom? Who is this kid? And then we see where Mary and Joseph, after looking for Jesus for three days, walks into the, walks into the temple and says... And he tells them, he says, surely you should have known I'd be in my father's house. So we have a good idea he knew who he was at that point. But then God himself, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, goes to the cross, takes on sin. The one who had no sin became sin. And we see that moment on the cross where Jesus cries out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only place in Scripture where we see Jesus refer to the Father as God instead of the Father. God, God, why have you forsaken me? Because when all the sin of mankind was heaped onto Jesus, God can't have anything to do with sin. God had to turn his back on him. And Jesus felt that separation for the first time. That same separation that we're all born into, Jesus is feeling that for the first time. He said he never did anything without being told by the Father to do it, never said anything without being told by the Father to say it. He was in communion with God the whole time. But at this moment, God, God had to turn away. So Jesus felt that separation for the first time, and it was awful for him. It was awful. And then realizing what it was, he says, it's finished. And he died, dead in the body, alive in the spirit. And then on the third day, he rose again. He was resurrected, defeating sin and death. And now for all those that come to him, that come through his complete work on the cross, he paid the price. You don't have to... You don't have to pay the price. If you've sinned, hey, we come boldly before the throne. You don't have to die again. You already died once. The old man is dead. You're a new creation in Christ. This is an exciting thing that's going to happen here today. This is an outward profession of that faith. So God took the, God took the curse of sin and death and made it to cure. And I'm going to wrap it up now because we're short on time. But here's the thing. I'm going to ask the worship team. You can come back up. If anybody here, if you're not sure, if you're not sure that you're a child of God, if you're not sure that you're saved, then how do we know that? How do we know? Well, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. You're going to know in your knower that you're saved. So if you're not sure about that, 
God forbid you leave here today and your heart stops beating or are you 100% sure you're going to the kingdom of God? That you're going to be there? Because if you're not sure, we want to make sure you're sure because God doesn't want you to be confused about that. Right outside those doors, there's a room right over here on the left. Let's nail that down before you leave here today. Let's be sure about that. Let you be sure about that. Okay? Okay. Well, listen, I thank you for your time. Love you all, and uh, I'll see you in a little bit.